Hey, welcome back to part two of our Man on Second podcast on the Coach Incarnate Podcast Network. Uh, we're resuming our conversation with Nick Green. Um, Nick, we, we're talking about the GM meetings that are going on right now in Vegas. And and to me, the biggest story right now um, from the from baseball perspective is, is Aaron Judge and the fact that the San Francisco Giants are now on record saying they're all in and money's no object. <laughs> And, you know, just kind of your thoughts, because I can't remember anybody ever kindly challenging the Yankees on, you know, wanting to play in that stratosphere of salary. Well, it must be nice to have that kind of money to <laughs> go out and say money doesn't matter. And I think the Mets are the only other team that I've heard do that. Um, yeah, but it's I think it's kind of crazy. I mean, people have projected the Giants to uh, be a really good team for a while, spend a lot of money. Uh, we know that they have money to spend. Uh, they are an aging team a little bit, so I don't know how long you want to go with that contract where it could possibly hamstring your organization for years to come. If you have the deep pockets, then it doesn't really matter. Uh, but I think that when you look at a possible $300 million player, that's a massive commitment. And when the Washington Nationals were talking about trading Juan Soto – we can't extend them. We, they offered him a ton of money. That organization had a lot of issues going forward. And if they signed Juan Soto, that massive deal, they can't sign anybody else for years to come that are of any significance. So you have to essentially draft and trade for younger players and hope they perform. And you have to build your organization like that. With San Fran, you spent $300 million on Aaron Judge. You better be good for a while. So um, it's going to be interesting to see kind of how that all plays out. I know they're projecting, what, eight years, around $300 million for Judge. And I think that if you're the Yankees, you have to try to sign him. I think that would be a massive blow to New York if they do not get him. But I don't know, you know how much more um, teams are willing to offer if they can get into a bidding war with Aaron Judge over that kind of money. Yeah, let me ask you, how much does a player – you know, the money is going to be there either way for Aaron Judge. Uh, do you think about your legacy? Because he's he's 30 or so years old. And, you know, he hits a lot of homers. We know Yankee Stadium for a right-handed hitter is more friendly for homers than, you know, playing at yeah. local park in San Francisco. Um, obviously, he'd be going home to, in a sense, being a California kid. But how much do you, do you think that weighs on a player when they think of their legacy? I think you look at Freddie Freeman's deal with the Dodgers and the fact he didn't re-sign with the Braves, and you kind of see that raw emotion where he comes back to Atlanta and he's in tears in his press conference. He had a tough time getting through that series emotionally. Um, that meant a lot to him to re-sign with the Braves, and I didn't realize it was that big of a deal until I saw what happened when he came back to Atlanta. So with Aaron Judge you know, being the face of New York, and thinking about his legacy moving forward, there's no better place to have a legacy than New York in the excuse me the New York Yankees. So I think that definitely means a lot to him. Um, but at the same time, I think you have to make the best decision what you're comfortable with. And uh, who knows if he's more comfortable going back home ish to San Fran or staying in New York? Um, I think he's comfortable in New York. I think he could last a long time in New York. Uh, in that small ballpark too. So that's going to be interesting to me, but as a player, I'm going to go where I'm more comfortable. Oh, absolutely. I, I think that has to be um, where 
you know, I think that has to be where, where his thought is, you know, you're, it's a difference. Yes. You're a New York Yankee. I mean, it's like, you know, you're, you're looking at Cooperstown stuff as, as well as money and, and owning a city and, and obviously for next generation of fans. So uh, the judging, that, that's like I said, I, I found that the most fascinating story. Um, talk about, you know, right in your wheelhouse, we'll go back to the Braves because you made it, the Braves made a trade yesterday I thought was, was kind of shrewd. And, um, you know, they, they part with Jake Odorizzi for, to the Rangers for left-hander Colby Allard. And what I find fascinating is, is this, I thought it was good roster management by Alex Anthopoulos and he saves two and a half million dollars in the process. A little background, Odorisi exercised his $12.5 million player option. Um, so the Braves are on the hook for 10 million, but they do save two and a half million and they get a controllable left-handed pitcher who has, some, who has upside and I guess familiarity, familiarity with the Braves. It, to me, it was a, a, a kind of a weird move because Odorizzi had a six and a half million dollar buyout. So, I thought they were just going to buy him out. Now, that's a lot of money. I know that. You don't get anything for that. But Colby Allard hadn't pitched real well in the big leagues, didn't pitch well in the big leagues this year. Um, obviously, he's still a young kid who has some upside. But I don't know really where Alex was thinking with that move. He, he's obviously one of the best GMs in the game. So he has something in the pipeline there. Um, but Odorizzi just didn't have a, a future with Atlanta um, and to pay him $12.5 million did, didn't make any sense. Now, that being said, you still have some guys fighting for that fifth spot in the rotation, and maybe they think they can fix something with Colby Allard to make him a little bit better and compete uh, for that fifth spot in the rotation. I don't know, um, but we'll have to wait and see kind of how that pans out. Yeah, yeah, that was a, a fascinating uh, situation there. Like you say, something, you know, they must have figured out something or something roster-wise may have changed, you know, when in between the buyout possibility and and then the trade. Um, let's talk about, obviously, the big the big name in Atlanta is Dansby Swanson, and he's in this part of this, you know, terrific class of uh, free agent shortstops. Uh his obviously his stock is super high. The Braves would love to have him back. Talk about, you know, you know, Swanson's year, how the opportunity presented himself and the importance of, you know, where the Braves are going to go with this. You know, I think that it's important that they sign him. Um, he means more than just the numbers. He's basically taken on that leadership role for the Braves that Freddie Freeman had, which was important. And he said that in spring training, he said he wanted to take more of a leadership role but he does such a great job of leading by example. And I think that when you, when you think about 26 guys on a roster, um, you think about how do we all get on the same page? How do we all do the same things to get ourselves to a spot where we can come together and win as a team? Because I've been on teams where there have been great individual players, but when it counted, we weren't a team. And I think a guy like Dansby Swanson brings a team together and you respect what he brings as far as work ethic is concerned, as far as his desire to win. Um, how do you win? How do you go about your business the right way? What do we do on a daily basis to make ourselves better? And you can look at Dansby's career. He's gotten better every single year. So when you look at his track record, you say, that's the guy I want to be like. He's the guy that's a winning player that has done things every single year to get better, to help his team win. And that's what we all want to be. 
as a team. And I think that when you look at the other guys on the market, are there guys that are better? Yeah, Trey Turner's the best shortstop in the game to me. Is he a better player than Dansby? Yeah, but does he bring the intangibles that Dansby brings and uh, for at what cost? I mean, are you willing to spend essentially $10 million, 7 to $10 million more per year for a guy like Trey Turner? Or are you willing to just take Dansby Swanson for a little bit more than what you wanted to pay him originally and know how good he's going to be and what he's going to do to improve and make your team better? I think that Dansby is the right choice for the Braves. Um, I hope that deal gets done because – if you replace him, you have to replace him with a superstar. And Bogarts, Correa, and Trey Turner are all going to cost more money than Dansby. And they aren't going to bring, in my opinion, that much more. No, and, and you don't know how that fit's going to be. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you know. Well, who do, the other thing know. is who, who becomes the leader in the clubhouse if Dansby's gone? Yeah. You know, is Trey Turner going to be that guy? Is Bogarts going to be that guy? Correa could be that guy. He's a, he is definitely a leader, but he's going to cost you a ton of money. So yeah, I think the fit is just perfect with Dansby in Atlanta. Yeah. So where do you think that goes? You think he? You think he in his heart feels that Atlanta's where he needs to be? I've heard that he wants to stay in Atlanta. Um, you know, I, I feel like just talking to him, that's where he thinks that he needs to be and should be. Um, and so I think that something gets done now. I think Alex is probably going to have to come up a little bit on what he wants to spend on Dansby to make that happen. Dansby's obviously in free agency now. So I think that, you know, once other teams are involved, then you start to think as a player, okay, well, what if this team offers me $5 million more per year than what the Braves are offering, you know, over say six years, that's a pretty big chunk of change. So then you start to think about, you know, the money more than where you necessarily want to be um, and what you're more comfortable with. Yeah, do you think there? Who do you think is the biggest challenge if he doesn't come to Atlanta? I think LA is a big challenge. Um, if if they want to go that route, I uh, I know that he would be a tremendous fit out there, and the pressure would be off of him. So you have so many other players that you can balance that roster out with. Uh, I think that would be an interesting move. I think Philly could probably get in the mix a little bit. Um, I like Bryson Stott, but he's no Dansby Swanson. Correct, uh, and they tend to spend a lot of money. So I think those two could be interesting. Um, and obviously, I think there are some other teams out there that would probably be in the mix as well. Well, oh that would be interesting. But because Philly just uh, just didn't pick up um, Segura. Segura. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they could move stock to second. <laughs> you know, yeah. If they wanted yeah, to go it, that way. And they want I, to spend I, money. Yeah. And that's what I heard. Dombrowski is all ready to do whatever it takes. That's what we always love to, you know, <laughs> what do you, you think? You think Freddie would recruit Dan to me? I mean, do you think Freddie could like come back and haunt you? He, he possibly could. I mean, here's the thing. Like once Freddie settled in in LA, that's a tremendous spot for him too. Like, yeah, he, he had one of his best years ever because again, there's not as much pressure on him to be the guy. Did he want to stay in Atlanta? Absolutely. Did the Braves want to keep him there? They did at a certain cost. And I think he would have been great in Atlanta too. But when you start looking at how well built that Dodgers team is, you can slide superstars in there with no pressure and they yeah. become even better players than they were before. So yeah. I think that, you know, he could possibly, if, if, if LA's in the mix, he could talk to him for sure. No doubt about that. Yeah. That's going to be fascinating as this thing heats up. That's going to be fascinating. Uh, obviously the Braves, they made the commitment to Austin Riley, the 10 years to 12. Um, why do you think they went that route right there when they didn't really have to, or they just felt that 
as they projected it out, they saw that Austin would be a safer, safer investment. I think more than anything, it's about cost certainty moving forward. Alex is looking down the road as far as his, uh, you know, amount of money he's willing to spend per year and what he knows is going to be on the, the payroll each and every year. So when you look at Austin Riley's contract, that is a big deal, right? 10 years, $212 million. But he caps out at $22 million a year. That's it. So when you look at, say, 2028 or 30 or whatever, $22 million a year is not going to be that much money. Um, and so I, I think that more than anything, they feel like he's going to be the player they expect him to be for years to come. And they're going to get a deal on the back end of the contract. So I, I feel like, you know, Alex is really shrewd with those negotiations. Is it a risk? Absolutely. But also it gives him cost certainty where he knows he's not going to be hamstrung with a $40 million deal on the back end. So I, I like the moves. I think it, they're they're really smart moves. Um, and that's why he signed Matt Olson too. That's yeah. why he signed Ronald Acuna. That's why he signed Ozzy Albies. That's why he signed Spencer Strider and Michael Harris. So he knows five years down the road kind of what his payroll is going to be. And I think that's more than anything, um, you know, the player is going to be who he expects him to be for the most part, but he also knows what his payroll is going to be too. Yeah. And, and that's really the challenges, you know, of, of all teams when you're trying to build a championship caliber team, meaning, you know, not just get to the postseason caliber team mm-hmm. is how you're going to put the pieces to the puzzle and then retain it. And Alex is as good as anybody at doing that. Obviously the Olsen trade, Put, you know, pans out. You have a great year after losing Freddie Freeman, which, mm-hmm. you know, doesn't really happen. Could you think there's that confidence that they could be just as successful keeping the thing rolling if it doesn't work out where Dansby stays? I think they could, they'll make something happen. Alex is always looking to improve the team in different ways, and they have money to spend too. They, they said that Terry McGurk said he wants to be a top five uh, payroll team. So we'll see how much more money they spend. They've made a bazillion dollars since they've been at the battery yeah. and winning the World Series. So they have money to spend. It's just how do you spend it? Um, how smart are you with it? I know Alex loves those short-term deals. But as far as shortstops, I don't know who's willing to take a short-term deal. So that'd be interesting. Uh, but, you know, you have other bats around him. We've talked about this before with, um, you know, our broadcast team is how would you replace Dansby if you didn't get one of those top shortstops? Could you get a defensive first type of guy? You could uh, because they have enough bats around that lineup to kind of um, let the shortstop role just be a defensive spot. I don't think it's the best idea, but I still feel like they could get it done if they have to. So I think that, you know, with Alex kind of knowing what he has in Dansby Swanson, knowing what he brings to the table, I think that you you kind of need to have a guy that's a superstar, in my opinion, uh, to fill that spot. Because if you look at the Braves roster this year, they didn't have anybody to hit second in the order. Dansby didn't start out hitting second. He hit towards the bottom of the order. Ozzie Albies didn't pan out in the two spot. Uh, Matt Olson didn't pan out in the two spot. Michael Harris is not a guy you want to hit second. So you honestly, in my opinion, have a spot to fill number two in the order. And if you go sign a defensive first shortstop, that's not going to be that guy. Now somebody else is going to have to fill that void where Dansby could just slide right in there and just keep rolling. Yeah, it just makes so much sense. Uh, I saw something where Vaughn Grisham, um, you know, could, I guess um, there's thoughts that he could handle shortstop, but do, do you think that would be too much pressure 
to put on him? I think it's too much. Um, I mean, I liked what he brought to the table. I, obviously, he was playing second base, not his natural position. But when you look at what happened to him defensively and offensively late in the year, uh, he kind of got exposed a little bit. I think he's going to be a really good player, but he's still only 21 years old. So we, you know, rushed these kids up to the big leagues, and he did he did his job, no doubt about that. You put him in there. He performed at a level they didn't necessarily expect him to perform at, which was great for the team. But then you start to get exposed. And how did a 21-year-old handle that? Um, I, I think giving him the shortstop job would be uh, a challenging position for him, a challenging position for the team. Uh, so I don't, I don't see them doing that. I think Alex knows that. Uh, is he on the trade block? Possibly. But I think he could be a really good player down the road. I don't think he's ready to handle the shortstop job just yet. Yeah, and I think what shouldn't be lost, and as someone who's covered the Marlins forever, and I've seen players get called up so young, what the Braves did, you know, having you know the veterans around, it allows a Michael Harris and a Vaughn Grisham to come in and perform without the expectation to perform. Yep. And you know, we've I've seen way too many players in Miami called up expected to perform and some did some didn't and you know it's you know it's always a better situation to have those veterans those established players and where a player could just do his thing without having to worry about all the pressures of being the man it's so challenging for young kids to come up and perform at such a high level knowing that they're supposed to do that and what the the great thing they did with Michael Harris when he got called up he was expected to be a great defender. We already knew that. We knew he had to make some adjustments offensively, but all you had to do was put him down towards the bottom of the order, eight, nine in the order, and just kind of ride him out and see what happens. And he started to gain confidence, made some adjustments, and he became a tremendous player where you could move him up a little bit in the order. But the expectation wasn't Michael Harrison to come up and hit you know, 300 with 20 home runs. That wasn't the expectation at all. The expectation was, hey, our defense needs – to be a little bit more uh, tidy in the outfield. Let's get some range out there. Let's get some certainty as far as our defense is concerned because the defense in the outfield was not real good at the time that he came up. And he came up and solidified the center field job, and then he hit on top of it. So uh, it was a, the best of both worlds for him. And then the pressure was off of him. There wasn't a whole lot of pressure on him at all because you had so many other guys filling other holes in that lineup. So – yeah, I mean, I, I've seen young kids come up and perform uh, the way they were expected to perform, but I've seen a lot of them struggle. You know, one of the guys that really stands out to me was Jared Kelnick out in Seattle. Yeah. He was supposed to be the best thing on earth, comes up and really, really struggles. They needed him to be the guy they thought he was going to be, and he never, he hasn't been that guy yet. Yeah. And the other thing is, how do you stunt their growth if you call them up and expect too much out of them? and they don't perform, can they come back and perform at a high level the following year? That's a question mark, and we don't know the answer because we don't know all the players. We don't know how they're going to adapt and adjust every single year. So, um, you know, if you have a, a roster full of guys that you could fill in a young kid in and not expect too much out of them, that's the ideal situation. Yeah, and the Braves have done a great job of that. And, you know, on the flip side, out in Seattle, Julio Rodriguez came up and did perform. Yep you know, at the, the highest of levels and, and showed to be the, the player. Uh, but yeah, it, it's, you know, we, we kind of cling to those that make it and, and 
we've seen a lot of good players. A lot of really good players have their careers just kind of stunted real early mm-hmm. because once you're demoralized, once you're exposed, you know, it's no guarantee you're going to snap out of that. Um, as we pivot to the final segment, um, you know, you know, you talked about defense and um, something that's going to change next year is infield defense with the new rules being implemented in, in 23 um, and being a former infielder, Nick, I want to get your thoughts on, on the shifting and the slightly bigger bases, uh, how that can affect footwork among infields and so forth. But how do you think the shifting is going to play play out, you know, especially being a middle infielder? What do you think it's going to look like next year? I think it's going to be a little bit more, um, I guess, a little bit. People are going to adapt a little bit easier than, than some people expect because this is the, the game that we've been playing forever didn't really have the shift on a, on a steady basis, right? So how did we adapt then? Well, we adapted by moving certain guys into certain spots. Maybe the first baseman plays a little bit more towards second base, give up the line a little bit. Maybe the third baseman shifts a little bit more towards the middle, gives up that line a little bit. Um, is range going to be a factor? I think it is. I, I hate the fact that they're saying that you have to have both feet on the dirt. That's the one thing that I don't like about this. I don't mind you saying two guys on each side of the base, of second base. That's fine. But when you tell me how deep or how shallow I have to play, I don't like that at all. Uh, because in my opinion, you you should be able to go into the outfield to catch a ground ball, right? Yeah. Do you, if, if, if I say, okay – uh, the Braves want to play Ozzy Albies in short right field. Well, that opens up all kinds of other areas that I can hit the baseball and get base hits. Ozzy can't go six steps to his right and make a play. That's not going to happen. Yeah. So I don't understand why they did that, uh, but I think that I think it's going to be fun for baseball. I think uh, you're going to see something different with the pitch clock, which is going to help the defenders. I think adding the pitch clock and uh, limiting the shift is going to be a good thing for baseball. There are going to be a lot more balls at play, a lot more strikes, a lot more action in the infield. Uh, so it should be fun to watch. But I think, again, when you look at guys up the middle, you need to have some range. You can't just have uh, somebody with cement in their feet playing second base because you are going to have to have more range to make these defensive plays where in the past you put them in one spot on the right side of the field, well, the shortstop's got that second base spot where he was, and now the second baseman just can just stand there. Um, so it should be interesting. I'm excited for it. Uh, I don't think that it's going to be quite as big of a deal as people are making it out to be. And I think, you know, within the first three weeks or so, we're going to be used to it. Yeah, and I, I agree. I happen to – I spent a week out at the Arizona Fall Week a couple of weeks back, and I was able to see – I saw eight games in six days, and it was really the first time seeing what next year is going to look like because the, there was the no shift. And what I noticed was, like, let's say there's a right-handed hitter up. The second baseman would basically be a foot from the bag. Yeah. So he's basically up the middle. But mm-hmm. the shortstop was, you know, in the six hole. You know, he was almost, you know – by the third baseman yeah. trying to take that away. And, you know, normal like ground balls up the middle that were a little bit slower hit are, are now going to be hits, you yeah. know? Uh, and cause even that second baseman had a hard time making that backhand play and then throwing across his body and getting the guy out of that's, first. That's where, that's where athleticism, athleticism is going to come into play. Yeah. If I have, if I have a guy 
it's a shortstop that can play second base. Now I possibly can make those plays. If I've got my standard second baseman, he's not going to make those plays. And I, I think that's going to be kind of fun to watch too, just to see where more athletic players get their opportunities in the middle of the diamond. Yeah, I think it's going to affect, you know, like you said, I don't think it's going to have a dramatic, I don't think you're going to go from being a 220 hitter to 280 hitter because you're going to, you know, all those ground balls now are going to go through. I think you're going to see the roster construction. I think instead of maybe that bigger bat as your 26 man, it might be a, you know, really good defensive glove. It might have brought the Nick Greens back to the game, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> you know, because, uh, you know, it, it, we kind of got away from that because you could just shift over there and just you carried the bat. Now, especially you can't carry two of that. You know, you, you, you know, the Marlins you know, went into 2022 with, Aguilar, Jesus Aguilar, and Derek Cooper, essentially the same plotting player as co-first baseman slash DHs, they're going to have to think a little bit now. Mm-hmm. You know, do you want to – what are you going to do with that extra player? Do you, do you carry a fifth outfielder? Or is your, do you carry like a guy who, who could play outfield and infield? Yeah, I think, I think it's going to be, you know, versatility over some of the other things that we've, I guess – put so much emphasis on over the last few years. And I, I, I think that's better for baseball because the more athletic we can be in the game of baseball, I think the more fun it is to watch. And I, I think that adds excitement. So I think that, you know, this is all this stuff that they're doing is a good thing for baseball. So I'm excited. I thought that the rule changes last year were great. I think the rule changes this year will be good too. Yeah. And, and as we get out of here, you know, like I was saying at the beginning of the show that, the mission here on the channel is to raise the baseball IQs and, and Nick Green does that. Uh, Nick, you know, tell people how they can, how they can find you. Obviously they could, they could hear you when they, when they follow the Braves, uh, fill everyone in. Yeah, we're on uh Valley sports and um, obviously we cover the Braves. I do pre and post for the Braves. So you can catch us on TV before and after the game. Sometimes you'll catch me in the game. Occasionally they let me do, some color, which is fun. Uh, and then I'm on Twitter at Nick Green 20 and also Instagram at Nick Green 20 as well. Yeah, Nick, again, thanks so much for spending some time with us today. Uh, great to have you. And and for our listeners, um, you know, you could, could follow us on all the major um, podcast platforms, Apple, Amazon, Spotify, uh, Stitcher. And, um, you know, we're growing this, this channel out. Um, you can follow us here on the, um, the Coach and Kernan Network. And, again, Nick Green, thank you so much. And until next time, we're out of here.